Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today we're pleased to speak to Brother Abdurrahman Ikar. How are you, Abdurrahman? I'm doing great, alhamdulillah. How are you, Brother Bassan? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing very well. Inshallah, today we'll be speaking about a very important subject, homeschooling. More and more Muslim parents are becoming growingly interested in this mode of educating their children. Yet, several misconceptions surrounding homeschooling remain prevalent. And today with Brother Abdurrahman, we hope to better educate ourselves about this subject, inshallah. Now, before we dive straight into it, Akhi Abdurrahman, perhaps you could start us off by telling our viewers about yourself and your own personal homeschooling journey. Yes, so Jazakallah khairan. Uh, Bismillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Uh, welcome everyone. Um, I just, uh, I, to just give some important details about myself, um, every homeschooling journey is unique. Uh, mine is all over the place. Uh, so I graduated with an undergraduate degree in biology. Um, and then I worked with a clinical, I worked as a clinical lab scientist um, in a leading hospital for about two years. I realized that I absolutely hated it. Um, so I actually went back to school. I uh, did a master's in teaching English. Um, and I got to teach while I was doing that program. Um, and then immediately after that, I got hired uh, to teach at a university in Medina. And I remember our family was so excited about it, uh, but the visa never came. Uh, it was totally legitimate. It's just the, the visa never came. So subhanAllah, that actually led me to get further into the world of education. Uh, I became a high school teacher and I taught English and I taught math at a public school. Um, and then I decided to go back to my hometown uh, and I got a job working as a lecturer and as a counselor at a university. And throughout that time, I was always working in Islamic weekend schools. So the, the interesting thing about my story is that it's the combination of all of these things that have really culminated in me becoming a homeschooler. Ultimately, you know, being uh, being in the healthcare field, having a successful career that I didn't like, that I ended up leaving um, in healthcare, and then after that, being in the world of education and working in Islamic weekend schools, all of that encouraged me to begin homeschooling myself. Um, and we've been homeschooling now for the past five years. And it's been a wonderful experience uh, altogether. So I want you guys to know that, you know, these are not just random ideas that I came up with. It really is based on, you know, my experience working all, in all of these different fields. Mashallah, mashallah. So what does homeschooling look like then? You know, is it like an identical replication uh, of a school classroom in your living room or how does it work exactly? You know, when you first mention homeschooling to people, that's the first thing that they think about, right? They think about a desk setup um, in the living room. And ultimately, homeschooling looks absolutely different uh, depending on who the family is, depending on the person who's homeschooling. So it can look like traveling the world, 
with your family as your kids explore different languages and cultures. Um, it can look like kids learning chemistry while they're cooking alongside you. It can look like a child memorizing Quran next to his parents. Or it can look more like a traditional school. So ultimately, it looks however you want it to look. Uh, you know, and there are the legal requirements. But ultimately, um, if you live in a place that allows homeschooling, uh, at least for me, I know that I was definitely surprised by the level of flexibility there was in homeschooling, even though I live in a state where there's considered to be moderate restrictions when it comes to homeschooling. Um, so, you know, alhamdulillah, in the majority of uh, countries and states in the West, you can homeschool. Of course, there's exceptions to that. Um, and we'll talk more about uh, legal um, issues later on. But homeschooling looks the way you want it to. And this is part of what makes it attractive, that you get to decide. You get to decide as a parent. And one thing that I tell parents is that no one can ever love your child the way that you do. No one can ever care about your child as much as you do. So yes, while it can be intimidating, that emotional connection, that love that you have for your child, no one else can replicate that. So while it's intimidating, right, it's also really powerful because you are being allowed to connect with your child on a daily basis, right, and being able to instill values in them. So, I mean, as a segue right now into into that, so I mean, what, what, so why should Muslim parents even consider homeschooling? Because I mean, uh, schools exist for a reason, right? So, why even consider homeschooling? Yeah. So, when it comes to you know talking about um, why we should consider it when there's this option right here, right next to us, that's free and that is convenient, right? Obviously, there have to be some very strong reasons why we should decide to homeschool. And I could talk about this topic forever, um, but for the interest of time, I think what I'll do is I'll focus on just five specific reasons why I think Muslim parents should homeschool. Uh, the first reason is in order to ingrain uh, taqwa and the love of Islam in our children. What this means, though, is that we have to really understand more about public schools. Public schools ultimately teach a value system that in a lot of ways opposes Islam. And this is the reality. Now, the other thing we need to understand is that this isn't something that just started now, right? I think so many parents right now, there's a sort of awakening in across so many communities, not just amongst Muslim communities, but even amongst conservative Christians, for example, right? Of, oh, we need to homeschool. And I give the analogy that when it comes to the public school system, think of the public school system, right? And the ideologies uh, that they support. Think of secular liberalism sort of as the disease, right? For lack of a better word, right? And then advancing these specific topics that have come more to the forefront later, uh, more recently, this is a symptom. Right. So the actual issue is secular liberalism and all of these things stem from that. So, for example, these recent ideologies that are being pushed more. Right. This is just another symptom. It is not the main issue. Even before this issue, I believe that ultimately being in a public school for a Muslim child would be something that in a lot of ways would hurt their uh, understanding of their own Muslim identity. And this is something that we need to understand. Public schools, it's not just for the sake of education. So many parents, especially immigrant parents, think school equals education. No, it's also promoting certain values. It's also making sure that everyone thinks in a uniform way. 
it's not just teaching skills, it's teaching values, it's teaching views, it's teaching identity, and it's having a population that is uniform. So for example, what education, for those of us who live in the US, what education does the Pledge of Allegiance really hold? What educational value does it hold? No, the reason it was established is so that immigrants who are coming into this country can all have the same value system. So I want you all to think of, you know, just a typical day in the life of a public school student and how problematic this can be for a young Muslim. So yes, we're talking about secular liberalism as a whole, but even besides that, when we look at the individual daily activities, it's almost as if we're expecting a child to go to school and to walk around telling all the adults around them, this is against my religion, this is against my religion, this is against my religion. Perhaps they go into music class and they're required to play a musical instrument. So they say, this is against my religion. Perhaps they go to gym class where they're required to touch the opposite gender. And then they say, this is against my religion. And then in art class, they're told to draw a living thing, the, the face of a human, a self-portrait. And then they say, this is against my religion. And then at lunch, they say, well, I can't eat this. This is against my religion. What happens is that the child in their own, own development, in their own view, starts to see Islam as very restrictive, right? And yes, as the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, Jannah is surrounded by desires, right? There, Islam is restrictive, right? You know, this world is the prison for the believer and the paradise for the disbeliever. Yes, there are restrictions in Islam. But the child who goes to public school begins to think that Islam is all about restrictions, that all we have is restrictions, right? And not only that, now think about the peer influence on top of that and issues of promoting premarital sex, drugs, infantilizing young people, which so many young Muslims themselves are starting to realize that they're constantly being told you're just a child. They, no, don't worry about it. Discover, right? Explore. You're just a child. Right. And also downgrading the respect and the values that we have toward elders. So imagine now they see anything religious as inferior and they see Islam as limiting. This isn't the ideal environment. Now, you have to understand that when it comes to these public schools as well, that the religion or in the value system of secular liberalism, that it directly opposes religion. Right. So when I think back to my own public school education, you know, I see that there was always an attempt to pit religion against science, to put these two against each other. You know, thinking back to hearing the story about Galileo and his persecution from the church, right? Because in, yes, between Christianity and religion, there was always a conflict, but Islam didn't have that conflict. But that's not really something that's brought up in public education. So you see our child now grows up in an environment where they see Islam as limiting. They see Islam as backwards. They're surrounded by peer influences. So all of that together is just the biggest and the main reason. Some other reasons that Muslim parents should consider homeschooling. The second reason is that public schools generally have a pretty terrible record when it comes to educational outcomes. In the U.S., 36% of fourth graders are only 36% are proficient in math. And 26% of eighth graders are proficient in math. For reading, in, and this is the United States, we have 33% of fourth graders are proficient in reading. And only 31% are proficient in, in eighth grade when it comes to reading. So now we're talking about a system that goes against our beliefs, that goes against our values, that 
provides all of this negative peer influence and doesn't even produce secular results, right? Now, as far as specific data comparing homeschooling students and public school students, there isn't like a large scale, high quality study uh, that is methodologically sound that compares the two. But ultimately, there's some really important factors that we have to think of. And one of the most important things in terms of academic secular result that we really have to think about is when it comes to teacher-student ratio, that our children in public schools are being put in an environment where you might have 25, 30 students, right, in one class. This cannot be a way to set up students for success. It simply cannot be. While the homeschooling student has one-to-one attention, or in a homeschooling co-op, maybe five-to-one, the student-teacher ratio, Right. So you think of all of these factors and you realize that it's not really setting the kids up for academic success. Mm-hmm. Now, there were um, some smaller scale studies that showed higher levels of success when it came to national exams for homeschooled students, especially students that were homeschooled in a way that had structure, which is required anyway. And really, without, you know, if you if you plan to fail, you Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail anyway, right, ultimately. So I think that's another important reason. As far as the third reason, strengthening your relationship with your child. Now, I don't mean to make this just a a lecture of, you know, this is not meant to be a khutbah. But at the same time, we have to realize that we have a responsibility over our children. As the Prophet ﷺ said, كُلُّكُمْ رَاعِينَ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهِ Every one of you is a shepherd, and every shepherd is responsible for his flock. And he goes on to mention the responsibility of a father and the responsibility of a mother. Your children, and I tell parents this all the time, because oftentimes as parents, our stressors are money. And our kids see that, right? That we're thinking about paying bills, that we're thinking about their own careers later on, and whether they'll be able to provide for themselves later on. But always remember as a parent, that your children, what they will truly remember is not the toys that you gave them. It's not the things that you bought for them. Those things that you might be sweating for, those things that you know, are, you're always thinking about, they're not even caring about that. In the long run, what they will remember is the positive memories that you created with them. So many parents, they try to offload their parental responsibilities on someone else, yeah. but know that your children are a hiba, they're a gift. They're an amana, they're a trust, right? And this homeschooling experience, when it's done the right way, can allow you to have a positive relationship with your child. 
a relationship where later on they see you as an advisor, as a friend in their lives, as someone they can turn to rather than their rather than their relationship with you being estranged by the public school system that teaches that families are often limiting right that doesn't teach respect for elders along with the peer influence related to that and the fourth reason i think that muslim parents should consider homeschooling is that public schools depersonalize learning what they do is they treat all students as the same they treat all students as the same Right. And what that does is that it takes away the individual curiosity that a child has. Right. So I'll give you guys an, an example with homeschooling. Let's say that your child, you find that your child is just really interested in rocks out of all things. Mm. Well, now you can create a whole unit on that. You mm. can go into depth about that. You can connect that to Islam. Right. There's so much that you can do. Right. You can connect that to understanding that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created these things as a sign for us to believe in him. You can connect, connect it back to monotheism, connect it back to Tawheed. Right. But the school system is not doing that. So what this does is that this depersonalizes the learning experience for the student. But with homeschooling, you can personalize it. You can make it customized and anything that's customized is ultimately better for the, that person's own individual, that child's own individual development. And the last reason, and again, I could go on forever, but the last reason is that public schools don't give your child, in most cases, a good role model. Mm. And I don't think we should shy away from this, that a child looks up to his teachers, mm. a child looks up to her teachers, right? This creates a power dynamic, right? Where perhaps the the teacher has a certain value system and they might not even know that they're evangelizing or that they're proselytizing that specific value system that they have but they are just their presence is the way they dress the way they speak the way they speak about their own family allah says that certainly we have made in the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam a good example this is the example that we want them to take. And surely the public school system is not going to support that. But a homeschool child can have that emphasized to them. And this allows them to be more successful in the akhirah. And as we see from many of the scholars of the past that they, Hassan al-Basri, for example, rahimullah, he says that we have never seen someone who sought the dunya and also got the akhirah. But we've seen many examples of those who sought the akhirah and got the dunya as well. So when your child's akhirah is successful, they'll get the dunya as well, inshallah. inshallah. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so let's say you, you've convinced someone um, to start homeschooling. So maybe the first immediate question might be, what qualifications should I have to be able to, to homeschool my kid? That's a great question. So first, we have to start off with the legal requirements. Now, I recognize that our viewers, you know, could be anywhere in the world, right? Um, so it's important to understand the legal requirements when it comes to homeschooling. Again, there's even certain European countries where it's not something that's allowed, right? So uh, for those of us in the U.S., uh, homeschooling requirements differ from state to state. But overall, when you really look at the requirements, it's actually pretty relaxed. I know, you know, there's certain organizations that say this state is aggressive, this state, you know, has a lot of strict controls, but there's no state that doesn't allow homeschooling. And there's no state 
that doesn't allow homeschooling, even the strictest of states, for a parent who has, I think the strictest requirement was a parent who has 45 college credits, right, which is about three semesters of college. That's the strictest state. I think that was uh, Washington, right? So it's important that you know the legal requirements. Now, that can be solved by a simple Google search, right, and, you know, looking at local homeschool um, groups and what resources they recommend. For those of us in the U.S., the HSLDA, uh, the Homeschooling Legal, Deve Legal Defense, I forgot what the A was, Alliance, or whatever it is, is a great resource where you can go state by state and see the legal requirements. So it's important to know these, right? Because you don't want anyone to come after you later. Although it's important for parents to understand that with homeschooling, although there might be all of these requirements, right, to um, let's say to uh, different states have different requirements on perhaps hours of teaching or subjects that are being taught. It is very rare that the government will come after you for homeschooling your child and say, show us, you know, show us the proof that you've been homeschooling. And also there's very minimalist ways uh, to keep track of homeschooling as well. So the legal requirements in the U.S., usually not an issue. Um, and in other countries, of course, you know, look at your local laws. Now, that's the legal requirement. However, there's some practical requirements that you need to have, right? Um, so here's a list of some practical requirements that you want to make sure that you have before beginning homeschooling. The first reason is, the, or the first uh, uh, practical requirement is that you need to have a solid understanding of why you want to homeschool. Mm. First of all, you know, you need to know your why. Right. If you don't know your why, the moment you run into a little hiccup, you're like, oh, I'm taking my kids back back to public school. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm taking them back. Right. So you need to know your why. Why are you doing this? Right. Now, the other reason this is important is that this needs to be explained to other members of the family, because a lot of times what will happen is perhaps one parent wants to homeschool. Uh, the other one doesn't. Or sometimes what will happen is that the parent wants to homeschool and the child doesn't. So, again, you need to know your why. You need to know what, what it is. What is the reason why you're doing this? What is your mission as a family? And as Muslims, ultimately, our mission is to go to Jannah. This is our mission as Muslims. Our mission is to guide our family to that. Now, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can ultimately guide. But at least to give, to give the best resources that we can, to give the best experience that will, like, that will be more likely to lead to that. Right? This is a responsibility that we have as parents. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that you need to have time. Now, everything that I'm about to list always goes back and connects to the first thing of your why. Because if you don't know your why, then now you don't have time, right? Because it's not as important to you, mm. right? So you need to have time to homeschool. Now, as far as specific time, each child is different. Again, homeschooling is a personalized experience, right? So I can't say that each child requires this amount of hours, right? Mm. But I recommend starting with at least an hour a day, unless your state requires specific contact hours. Then there's ways to supplement with other things that we'll, we'll get into later as well. But at least one hour per child per day, right? I think this is a great starting point. Now, that hour, of course, it doesn't have to be all at once, right? Every, every kid has a different attention span. You know, it can be 15 minutes at a time. It can be 20 minutes at a time. And the beauty of that is that you are growing in your relationship with your child and you're customizing it for, for them. And what your child is additionally getting out of this is that they're learning their best learning style. They're learning how it is that they learn best. This is so important because it's not a one, one size fits all picture. You know, 
some students learn best by visualizing. Some um, students learn best by reading, right? So you're able to cater to the individual needs of your child, right? And the individual time needs as far as, you know, spaced repetition, which is the best way to learn anything, at least the best way to memorize anything, which is a core component of learning, which, by the way, public schools want to go against now. They want to say memorizing is not important, right? Of course it is. The more you, the more you know something, the less you have to look up right? The more it's just inside of you, right? The more you can really live that, right? So I can imagine some people listening to what you just said right now thinking, yeah, I don't want my child to just learn for an hour while everyone, uh, everyone else's kids is uh, learning for like eight hours a day. But it goes back to a previous point that you made, which is that, mm-hmm. okay, uh, the amount of material that a teacher could cover uh, mm-hmm. to help all 30 students in a class properly understand and they and the majority of them will not properly understand it but you could probably help your kid in five minutes with that quality one-to-one interaction come up to speed and it'll be more fruitful and beneficial and productive than that 45 minute class along with 30 other kids right so you know know, it's not about the quantity of time but the quality of time so one hour of quality Mm one-to-one undivided attention with 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 a teacher Mm -hmm. mainly you the parent is probably more mm-hmm. valuable than this eight hour, you know, and not only that, your kid is like tired uh, after half, yeah. half the day is already over. Right? Oh. So, you know, subhanAllah, you reminded me of uh, uh, a meeting that I had with a parent um, just recently. Now I had met with this parent last year and they weren't able to start homeschooling last year. But one of the things that I told them to do was just go, go to your kid's school with them um, and see if you can volunteer there and see if you can just see what that's like. Right. So this parent, she went to the school. And she said, I was absolutely shocked. She said, I was floored. The teacher wanted to show a five-minute video to the students. She said that it took two hours, right? So exactly what you said, right? It took two hours to show this five-minute video. Because the other thing that parents are not factoring in is the behavioral issues. Yeah. yeah. So, and this is why the teacher-student ratio is so important, is that a lot of school is actually just spent, you know, trying to calm down the troublemakers, Mm, right? Like a large part of school. Right. Coming from a former public school teacher, a large part of it is just calming down the students who are troublemakers. You know, students who will I've seen it like curse at a teacher, you know, students who will just spaz out. Right. Students who, you know, insist that they're going to have their phones out. Right. So very little of that time is actually spent on education. So just for emphasizing that point. Because this is, I'm sure this is something people are thinking, wait a minute, that's not fair, eight to one. Well, you know, like you said, it's also about quality, right? Yeah. Um, The third prerequisite then, or the third thing that you need to have, right, um, as a qualification is that you need to have a home that's based on education. You need to have a home that is based on education, right? Um, now, what I mean by that is not like desks and chairs and, right? You can, you know, you can have fun and learn too. So like even the types of games that you bring into the household, right? That these are educational games, right? The type of screen time, which you should try to limit as much as you can, um, that it's beneficial, right? So one say, one mantra that I give to parents is books instead of screens, right? If a child gets bored and all they see around them is books, then that kind of becomes their norm. Mm. Right. And part of that, of course, is you being a good example in reading these books, right, whether it's the Quran, whether it's something related to the deen or, you know, something related to improving yourself, you know, in this life or a secular subject that when they see these books around the house, right, it becomes just sort of a norm for them that 
oh, you know, I had books around the house. And subhanAllah, the legacy that that will leave behind is immense, right? That just growing up around books. And for those of you who, who read a lot, I'm sure this is something that you can relate to. And the, the important thing as well is that it's important to start off on that track, right? Once your journey in parenthood begins, right? Because one thing that happens with a lot of parents is that they introduce a lot of unlimited screen time, you know, TV shows, Netflix, iPad, right? And then all of a sudden now they're like, I want to start homeschooling. I can't do it because when we're around the home, all my kid wants to do is go on the iPad, right? So if you start off like this, really, it's so much easier if you start off like that. Um, I remember this analogy that uh, Ibn al-Jawzi uh, gives where he says that uh, disciplining your child, just providing the correct terbiyah, the correct discipline, the correct environment, um, starting the right routines. At a young age, he compares to straightening a branch from a tree, right? It's very easy to do that. But disciplining your child when they become older is like trying to straighten the whole tree. It's so difficult to do that, right? And this, you know, just this principle alone, which Ibn al-Jawzi wrote about more than 800 years ago, just as principle alone, right? And we see it from the Sunnah of the Prophet more than 1,400 years ago, right? Just this principle alone will fix so many of the parenting challenges that we have of just starting off correct, starting off correct and making sure that your home is set up for learning to begin with, right? Um, the other, the, the fourth thing then is making sure that you have a willing English-speaking parent uh, if you're homeschooling, you know, in, a, in an English speaking medium country that is willing to stay a few steps ahead of the child. The reason that I say this is that it doesn't mean that you have to be an educator as a profession. You don't need to be a professional educator. Now, again, that might take some people back right now. I was a former teacher and I'm not too proud to admit that there's some terrible teachers out there. And I know because I taught right next to them. Right. And you'll see some things that'll re really surprise you. I remember one teacher I worked with that would teach for 15 minutes and then just sort of hang out the rest of the time. And I remember asking him one time, I said, would you would you just hang out the rest of the time and not even require the students to like do homework or, you know, go around helping them if that was your own children? And he was like, no, I, I but that didn't change him. Right. <laughs> you know, this teacher is just teaching for 15 minutes and just leaving it to the class. Hey, I'll do what you want to do. Right. But the crazy thing I mean, is but that I guess, many... you know, a lot of teachers are underpaid and not or kind of disgruntled at work. I, mean, I don't want to stereotype, but uh, yeah. I think that might be uh, a factor in it into the equation. Right. I think, like, that, might be, I think that might be a factor in it as well. Because um, there... I mean, a lot of these teachers are underpaid uh, yeah. and they're going they're going and facing 30 kids in a classroom. Uh, for yep. hours on end, a lot of troublemakers. Yep. yep. The impact that could have on the psyche of the teacher himself. We need to humanize the teacher here as well, right? And yep. imagine that you're sending your child to be around this individual for mm -hmm. the entire day. Well, this individual is not a robot, right? So he's going to be making mistakes and he's going to be influencing yeah. your child, right? Yep. Yep. And, you know, I'll, uh, I appreciate you humanizing, um, you know, teachers. And I'll also say that some of the teachers don't even just, <laughs> some of the teachers really don't have your child's best interest in mind. And yes, you know, this might be connected to them being, you know, underpaid. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I've seen it, you know, right in front of my eyes where, you know, the level of care that um, some teachers have towards the students is, 
you know, based on who they relate to the most, right? Now, there's a reality in that too, right? Where I've seen, you know, for example, some teachers, you know, if the student is the teacher's ethnicity or race, mm. right, all of a sudden they're willing to give that student extra time. Mm. They see them as their own child. And then when it's a Muslim child, it's like, oh, it's, you know, maybe they have home problems, right? Mm. And this is something that I was, I was shocked that I would see that so directly. Um, and it's not something that perhaps they're like knowingly doing, Right. And it's one of those things that we have to just check ourselves on constantly, which Alhamdulillah Islam encourages, right? To, you know, constantly be taking account of yourself and, you know, looking at your motivations and, and your actions, right? So it, the reason that I say staying just a few steps ahead is that you don't have to know everything about teaching. You don't have to know everything about that, that uh, about the content, right? But it has to be that you're willing to just stay ahead, right? And the reason that I say that is because you can't be an expert in every field. And ultimately, a goal when it comes to homeschooling is to create an independent learner, right? And I think this will be a goal for a lot of parents. You know, who wouldn't want this? A child who is individually, internally, intrinsically motivated, right? And, you know, knows the resources that they can access to get accurate information, right? It doesn't always have to come back to the teacher, right? And this is something that is really important, especially in this day and age where everything is available. Right now, there's some practical skills that need supervision, right, that, um, you know, need to be supervised in the way that they're learned, right, so that bad habits don't start there, yeah. right? But I'll give you an example like coding, you know, uh, there's so many resources out there that it's overwhelming, you know, someone can learn how to code for free, right? And if if this is something that is instilled in the child of trying to be an independent learner from the beginning, this can be something that later on when they, uh, you know, as they get into middle school or high school, that they can learn on their own, right? Now, another important thing here is that many people who are not teachers by profession uh, think that I can't teach because it's not my profession, but they don't realize how many transferable transferable skills there are, right? I remember one time I was talking to a friend of mine who's a doctor and he's like, I don't think I could do it. You know, I just, I'm not a teacher, right? And I'm like, you're, you're a doctor. Like, you know, you are talking to patients and explaining things to them that have, you know, critical consequences if they misunderstand, right? You know, when it comes to education, if I make a mistake in teaching, I can go and correct it the next day. No one dies, right? No one, <laughs> no one dies. You know, I was just reading from a homeschooling author um, yesterday. Uh, she said, uh, there's no homeschooling emergencies, right? So this pressure that parents put on themselves that like this, this has to be at this exact moment. It's not there. Right. It's something that we're creating in our own minds. Yeah. Right? I mean, so, I mean, sometimes I see people saying this mm -hmm. yet when they yet when they when they send their kids to school and their school comes, yeah. uh, and their kid comes back to school, they teach their kids. They There's, revise their homework with them. So I'm like, wait, what are you doing? Yeah. You're, you're 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 already teaching them, man. Like uh, you're you're, you you're, 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 you're yeah. yeah, like like when your kid comes back to school, you're not only saying, OK, maybe some parents are like that, but you're not. You don't have a complete hands-off approach. You're asking your kids, so what do you learn today? Show me your homework. Did yeah. you do your homework? Can I see what you did? Uh, you mm -hmm. you skim through his book. You flip through his book. You help him prepare for exams. So yeah, you're, yeah. you're kind of already doing that, right? But you're but it's just that they have that little reassurance that at least he learned something at yep. school. And I'm just there to like compliment, yeah. compliment. But if you really think about it, a lot of the times you actually do understand <laughs> What your kid learned are doing. And, and you actually help him revise yeah. and you teach him to it properly if, if he's struggling to understand what he what he learned at school mm -hmm. right and not everyone can afford a tutor so yeah, sometimes you, might... you do find yourself forced 
to teach your kid. So just mm-hmm. tr- transfer that motivation to 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 the homeschool homeschooling context and and, and just do it. <laughs> right, and then you know another another really important point there is that I, I like what you said. You know, is that you're already doing it. Is that if you were to you know if you were to like reduce the harms of public schooling as much as you can, this would mean that you're doing the things that you're doing. You know, you're asking, hey, what'd you learn today? You know, um, you know, what's it like praying at school, right? Are you are you able to pray at school? Are they giving you problems when it comes to that? You know, um, did you see anything you want to talk about? Uh, and the interesting thing is that having all of those conversations, right? And like actually having those conversations the way they should be held, Right. And all the, you know, support of like the nagging, you know, getting ready for school and all of that. Right. That might actually take more time than you than just home more time from you than homeschooling would have. Right. Like the, the deprogramming that you have to do yeah, and the getting yeah. ready and the doing that it might just be the same amount of time that you would have spent homeschooling. Right. So, for example, in, in my family, you know, homeschooling, the secular subjects, um, I would say on average, you probably spend about an hour and a half. Uh, a day and it's definitely not every day four or five days a week mm. right and i'm thinking about you know if i were to like drop my kids off at school mm. you know go and pick them up right talk to them afterward um help them with their homework <laughs> yeah. it would be the same amount of time right? exactly it's not more it's not more yeah. yeah if not more and then another thing that's related to that as well is that a good you know don't don't put yourself down on your ability to educate because guess what? A good parent is a good educator, mm, mm, right? Mm. So if you're like, oh, I don't think I can teach. Well, okay, then you can't parent, mm. right? Because think about, you know, teaching values, teaching routines to your child, right? This is education too. In fact, this is the most important form of education, right? Now, if you can't explain that, right? If you can't have that discussion with your with your child, you know, then you need to work on on your parenting skills. And we'll talk about some resources to help with that later on. But a good educator is a good parent and a good parent is a good educator, right? So don't put yourself down like that, right? The other thing that you're teaching your child, you know, as you go on this journey is that it's okay to not know something, Mm. right? It's okay to, you know, be somewhere that you're not necessarily happy with at the moment, Mm. right? And that if you work hard at it, right, you can get better. You know, these are the type of skills, like this idea of having a growth mindset, of willing to expand your knowledge, of willing to, you know, take a calculated risk. These are all important moves for the child to see parent, uh, the child to see modeled by the parent as well, right? Um, the fifth thing is having a willing student, right? Mm. Now, it's easiest to start while they're young, right? When a child is young and just make that a norm from the beginning, mm. right? And this is my recommendation to start while while they're young. Um, now, you know, there's all sorts of conversations uh, about like, I, well, if you're going to, so, sorry to interrupt you, but I think it would also be easier for the parents because yes. if you're, mm-hmm. because it'll be a piece of cake, it'll be a cakewalk, you teaching your kid grade one and grade two, grade yeah. three, that, like that'll be easier for you. Grade 10 and yeah. 11 and 12, like it'll even be hard for me to remember that stuff. Right. Oh, of course. Of as course. long as if you're getting yourself used to relearning things that you learned at school and you're starting from grade one yourself. And you're growing mm-hmm. with your child, it'll, it'll be easier than starting off at, from high school, right? So sorry to interrupt you, I just want to like emphasize that. No, no, no. I, I really, I appreciate you bringing up that point because it connects to another point, right? And which is, I, I like what you said right now, me relearning because I forgot, right? Mm-hmm. It, now, as, as a parent educator, right, you realize the things that are truly valuable mm-hmm. because you see them in your profession, you see them in your day to day, 
right? So you can emphasize the, mm. the things that are truly valuable, mm. right? So think about, you know, the things you've learned in school that you're like, well, you know, I don't, I don't think this is actually important. Well, in most cases, you don't have to actually teach that specific thing. Yeah. You know, for example, think about like Greek Greek mythology. You know, I, I really don't care if my kids know a whole lot about Greek mythology. I want them to know that it was shirk, right? <laughs> you know, as a Muslim, I'm not going to be like testing them. Like, who is Zeus? And yeah. Who is he yeah. The son? It's not going to come in the GMAT, you know, entry exam for, for yeah. Right. And subhanAllah, this is a really important thing for us to realize is that, you know, in some ways, like you being, having your own career or just, you know, being an adult, right? You realize the things that really are important in day to day and you can focus on those things. Because think about all the things that are important that are not taught. You know, I remember I, you know, as an adult, like an independent adult, I didn't know how to write a check, right? And I had to Google it, right? And it's just like, you'd think they would teach you this in school. Hmm. You know, it's such a, such a valuable thing, hmm. right? But you see when it comes to like money management, you know, these typically are skills that are not taught, hmm. right? So having that willing student is really important. And now that also connects back to, of course, our first thing, which was to make sure that you know your why, right? Because we need to be able to explain to our child why, right? Our child, you know, we don't need to wait until the child asks. And this is something that a lot of Muslim parents shy away from, is that your child can handle a lot of conversations that you think they can't handle. Right. And the more you explain that to them, the more you talk to them as an adult now, the more you'll have a bond with them where there's more trust built between you. Right. Because if you're always hiding things from them out of thinking, oh, they're not ready for that. Right. Then it can actually breed some trust issues, you know, later on. Right. So being able to talk to your children like like they're adults, you know, somewhat and according to, you know, whatever is age appropriate, you know, your child best. Right. There's no reason to hide while, why you're homeschooling. Right. And you can share with them some of the benefits that are in it for them. You know, for example, flexibility, pursuing their own interests, pursuing their own hobbies. Mm. Right. It can be, for example, that you guys negotiate on, you know, not starting super early in the morning. Mm. Right. Or how about traveling? Right. Mm. How about, um, you know, doing more of the, the preferred activities? Perhaps it's a sport that your child likes playing. Well, how about now? You know, we put you on this team and you can play this sport now, you know, and not be so tired by the time you get there because you are, you know, being transferred from one room to another for eight hours. Right. So this is another really important thing that you need to have in order to homeschool a willing student. Um, we are on number six. Number six, right, which is having a healthy relationship with your child. Again, we'll talk about some resources for that um, later on. But, you know, right now, this is something that has to be fixed before you're homeschooling, right? If you have the type of relationship with your child where you're just like constantly nagging and they don't respect you, right? Well, this is something you have to fix. Now, here's the thing. Whether you homeschool or not, you still have to fix yeah, this. Regardless. <laughs> you have to fix this regardless. So, you know, get to it. Like this is something that it's never too late to fix. But of course, just like the analogy we, you know, the comparison we gave, it's better to start while they're young, right? Of, you know, having the type of relationship with the child where, you know, it's not constant nagging all the time. Right, where, where the child understands the reason why they need to do certain things. And the child doesn't have to, you know, have things constantly repeated to them. And again, we'll give some resources for that later on. Um, the seventh um, practical requirement is to have knowledge of your own state requirements. Of course, you need to know wherever you live, well, what are the actual requirements? Now, make sure you join some sort of um, group, right, that you at least communicate with or that you can, you know, ask questions to. Um, regarding specific requirements, 
because there's some things, you know, whenever laws are written, you know, some things that are very fuzzy, some things that are unclear, you know, perhaps even when it comes to testing, you know, deciding the best, most um, accurate and flexible type of testing. Um, the eighth thing is that you need to have a willingness to explore resources, right? That your homeschooling is an overwhelming world, right? With just so much information, right? You need to be willing to explore resources. You know, you need to be willing to just say, hey, let me, you know, let me learn more about this resource, right? And what this is doing is that you're modeling for the child how to be resourceful, right? Your child sees that, okay, maybe I don't know this, you know, let me seek, let me seek this knowledge. Let me try to get this information from elsewhere, right? Now, the ninth thing, if you've been counting, is keeping and having a plan, which again goes back to number one is knowing the why. Because if you know the why, you know your plan. Now, the plan doesn't have to be the super written out, you know, lesson plan. Um, I will tell you, by the way, teachers don't really care about lesson plans. A, a lot of teachers, honestly, this is just something we do to, you know, get um, uh, get high marks. You know, when we're when we're doing the practical, you know, after that. Right. A good teacher is not always like, OK, oh, no, but I didn't have the objective and, you know, the specific minutes for how long, you know, each activity would would be. And of course, a lot of that, you know, goes back to the point we were talking about, about class size. Right. There's a lot of flexibility when it's just one on one or two on one. Right. Um, so you need to have some sort of plan. It doesn't have to be very, very, very detailed, you know, in the beginning. Right. And I think that this is important in order to not overwhelm parents, you know, just make a little bit of progress a day. Right. And if you do that, you know, you'll be in a totally different place by next year. Right. If you can just plan, you know, know your next immediate steps. Right. It doesn't you know, for example, I, I talk to parents whose um, children are in kindergarten and they're like, yeah, but how do they graduate homeschooling? It's like, whoa, 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 relax, relax. We just you know, that escalated very quickly. That was 13 years that <laughs> that went by really quickly. Perhaps your child will absolutely refuse homeschooling by like ninth grade. Well, what are you going to do then? Right. When they're bigger than you and stronger than you, you tried everything. Right. Now, what are you going to do? Right. Well, now you have something that, you know, you need to talk about with your child. Maybe there's, uh, you know, maybe there's a place there where you need to negotiate. Right. Because guess what? You know, if they hit puberty at that time. They're an adult. Right. You do need to give them a little bit of wiggle room to gradually make their own decisions. Right. And then the last thing. And, you know, this also connects back to the, the first point is financial stability. Right. Is that homeschooling ultimately requires one parent. At least one parent who is, can give that time, and this requires some sort of financial stability. Now, when I say financial stability, I'm not talking about the American dream of you know the white picket fence and you know all of that. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about you know are you able to provide for your basic needs while homeschooling, right? And this is something that you know depending on where you are, the cost of it differs, right? But you need to be able to take time away from that in order to give your child time, right? Now. Um, Homeschooling is something that is growing. There's a lot of interest in it now. And it's only been going up every year, the number of parents that are homeschooling. Uh, another thing that is going to increase the number of homeschoolers out there is all the um, jobs now going remote. Not everything, but many jobs, right, going remote, is that this will give more time to parents. This will give parents an opportunity to you know, plan their day and structure their day the way that they would like. Right. So even now, perhaps some parents who are working full time, depending on their career, you know, will actually have the ability to homeschool. And this is only going to increase the number of homeschoolers right now. Again, when we think about financial stability, you know, don't let your children be a fitna for you. And always remember that point that your children are not going to remember the money that you spent on them. 
right? They're going to remember the time that you spent with them, right? And for, you know, depending on what community you come from, right, there's a lot of people who also have responsibilities of sending money back home, right? So for example, me, I'm, I'm from Somalia, and this is every Somali family sends money back home. Um, every, you know, every month they're sending money back home. Every Somali family is doing it, right? Differing amounts, but, you know, there's people in the family that are sending money back home, right? So I think a critical conversation that needs to have in communities like that, where that is sort of the expectation, is how can you have both, but without compromising the terbiyah or the upbringing of your own children, right? Because you need to, yes, it's a requirement, you know, to support your family uh, back home. You know, this is part of uh, having, you know, you know, with your family, but at the same time, connecting the ties and maintaining family ties at the same time, you can't do that at the cost of you losing your own children in the public school system. Yeah. Right. Because again, you're going to be asked about this. Everyone will be asked about their responsibilities and those under their care. So, so those where, are where there's a will, there's a way. We can't, we can't speak to everyone's needs for that, you know, very comprehensive response. Um, yeah. What 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 about those who would say, but look, you know, my kid is really gonna get is really gonna get bored staying at home all day. Like uh, he he deserves to have some fun and go to school and play yeah. with friends and and whatnot. Like homeschooling is really boring for for the kid. Uh, is that fair? <laughs> yeah, I I think that's pretty unfair because you know homeschooling is what you make it right. So you can make it fun. Um, you know, ideally, a homeschooling uh, student should have more fun. Right. Because, you know, they're they're having a greater say and it is important to give your children some sort of a say um, in their preferred activities. Right. Where they can, you know, design their own opportunities, their own projects. Right. So I'll give an example. Um, one of one of my kids, um, we saw that she was interested in um, making bracelets. Right. So, yes, it seems like, you know, uh, maybe something that every girl goes through, you know, like, oh, you know, I want to I like this arts and crafts and I want to continue doing it. Right. Well, what we did with her is that um, we had her create a business, right? And what that meant is that she now had the opportunity to increase her social skills by speaking to people who wanted to buy her product, right? It meant that now she had the practice and the capability to organize and devise a business plan, right, that she could execute. Um, it meant that now she has something that she can explore. You know, it's like just exploring, right? No commitments as a future home-based career, Right. Now, people look at that, they're like, wait, career? Yeah, you know, there's, shoot, there's millionaires on Etsy uh, making bracelets, right? And, you know, I think that, especially when it comes to immigrant parents, right, is that we really have to, you know, think more, we, ha we really have to think broader, right, when it comes to what we want for our children. Number one is that ultimately it is your child's choice. So parents need to stop, you know, forcing their children, I want you to be become this career. You have to become a doctor. You have to become an engineer. I mean, this is extreme, right? I, I know of a situation where, you know, a person almost got cut off uh, by their family because they became a pharmacist instead of a physician, right? Okay. And it's like tore, you know, this, you know, child's relationship with their parents, right? And it's like, subhanAllah, like, come on, right? At the end of the day, the most important thing for us is that we have a child that makes dua for us after our death, right? What's more important than that? You know, and, and this is part of, the, you know, the deeds that, that will continue. Right? A righteous child that will, you know, make dua for you. This is what we hope Allah Azza wa will give us, right? Now, what will it do for you? Your child became a physician, but they don't make dua for you. What? How did that help you, right? So this is the most important thing, 
right? In terms of, you know, the career that we want for our children is that whatever career they have, that it allows them to be connected to Allah Azza wa Jal. And that it's not a career that compromises their deen, and it's a career that allows them to prioritize their family. Ultimately, that's what we want, regardless of the career. Now, the reason that I bring that up is that I also, um, I, I hope in my discussions with parents, um, you know, and, and me mentioning, you know, some of my previous experiences. So, for example, as a, as a college counselor, you know, I did a lot of career coaching, right? And I think that, you know, as parents, we need to realize that college is not a requirement for everyone, right? And it's a case-by-case situation where parents need to weigh the, pro and, the pros and cons. Now, I know someone might hear this and think, ah, oh, you know, this religious brother who's not, you know, academically ambitious or whatever, you know, no, I am academically ambitious. You know, I, I have a master's degree um, and education is important to me and it's important to my children. I come from a family of you know, people who who are educated, you know, in, in terms of that aspect, in terms of having gone to college. And that's something that's important to me. But it's not something that's for everyone, right? So, for example, we have a lot of young Muslims, right, who are going into college, right, and they're being forced to pursue a certain thing. But they're not actually ready for college because they don't know yet what they want to do. Mm. So they end up just hanging out. They end up just hanging out and some of them are losing their status as students. Some of them are losing, perhaps uh, if they were a lower income fa uh, family, the aid they would have gotten from the government. Now they're losing that. Their financially, uh, financial aid suspension um, uh, and uh, what's the other one? Academic probation, right? From uh, the university suspending them because they're not doing well, right? We need to be flexible in terms of how we think about career opportunities for our children. You know, I know someone who makes more than $100 an hour detailing cars, right? Now, if he enjoys that, why why as a parent are you upset about the type of work your child is doing, right? If, you know, it provides, it provides for their family, they can actually become wealthy from it, right? You think about, you know, all these jobs and the trades. It's Again, it's not a matter of not being ambitious academically. It's a matter of being practical. Right. There are a lot of people out there with very advanced degrees that are not working in those fields or that couldn't find work with them. Right now, yeah, you get to walk around and say, my child is this, my child is that. But, you know, bills still got to be paid. Right. And, you know, ultimately, you have to be in a career that you love. Some of these careers are too difficult to get into if you don't like it. You know, you can't get into medicine if you don't like it. Like that's that's a whole life commitment. You know, you're delaying everything in your life in order to get into medicine. Right. So. These are all really important things that we have to think about in terms of careers for our children. Again, coming from a career coach, you know, who has who has worked with, you know, lots of dozens and dozens of students, you know, when it comes to this, perhaps hundreds. Um, and, you know, understanding that uh, homeschooling, you know, allows your child to not only explore and not only to have fun, but to explore their genuine interests. Right. The public school system. It's amazing how many students I talk to. Twelfth grade. Right. I don't know what I want to do. Well, what, what, I mean, that's a failure, right, of a, a public school system, right? If you've been in this system for that long and you still have no idea, like, what you're interested in, right? Eh, to me, that's that's highly problematic. And part of that is just a result of the one-size-fits-all approach and not being allowed to pursue your own interests. So, you know, you can have your child in the activities they like, whether it's swimming, basketball, mm -hmm. you know, arts and crafts, whatever it might be. Nothing stops you from doing that, Right. Yeah. Oh, how would you respond to someone who says that, you know, resorting to homeschooling is just being overly restrictive? I could send my kid to public school and I could I could have 
you know, mm-hmm. these chit chats with him. Uh, I could send him to some Islamic summer camp, uh, or I could send him uh, to the, you know, to the masjid or Muslim community activities oh. uh, during the weekend. We don't uh, have to resort to to homeschooling. This is becoming overly restrictive right now. Yeah. What are your thoughts on 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 that claim? Well, my 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 internal thoughts sometimes it. I I I, I kind of want to laugh, right? And I, I know that seems <laughs> terrible, but I just I I want I want parents to visualize this, right? That you're saying that homeschooling is restrictive, and you're wanting them to be in an environment where they have to sit in this chair, this chair, not any chair, this chair, and that they have to raise their hand, right, to go use the bathroom, right, and that they have to wait until a bell rings to get up and go to their next class, and that. They're being restricted, you know, every minute of the day. For three right? quarters of and, the day. And, yeah. Uh, for a third <laughs> of the day, sorry. For a third of the day. Yeah, yeah, a third of the day, you know, a full school day, right? And they're being limited and restricted in every way. And you think homeschooling is strict? Come on. You know, what's really strict is the public school system. And in fact, you know, a lot of educators um, have said that it it really resembles prison mm. um, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways that, you know, how restrictive it is, right? And that's that's scary, Right. Mm. It's actually very scary how much restriction there is, you know, and, and the fact that students are also collectively punished, right, in, in schools. You know, I, I was at a school where we had one fight one time. And I remember from that point on, um, every uh, a child could not use the bathroom without an escort. You had to call for an escort. Right. And then oh, wow. uh, security ad- escort them to use the bathroom. This isn't like a one school sort of situation. This is, you know, in terms of, you know, giving um, consequences for everybody based on the actions of two people. Right. This is something that's very common in schools, especially in the public school system. Right. So it, homeschooling really is what's flexible. Right. In terms of, you know, the child gets to take a part in their education. Right. And gets to do preferred activities that they enjoy. Right. And they don't have to have every minute of their lives um, structured out for them. And I think um, this is also a note for parents who want to mimic the public school system is there's nothing to mimic. It's not successful. If it were successful, then mimic it. Right. But it's not that it's very successful either. So there's really no reason to to mimic um, this system. And this is where a lot of parents fail with homeschooling is that they want to do the seven hours a day child. You know, again, it's about quality. It's not about quantity. Right. And it also doesn't actually fit in with the developmental um, ages of children. You know, I would say that the public school system kind of caters more to girls than it does to boys. Right. I I think about, you know, your average six year old boy, right, who's attending kindergarten. Your average six year old boy has a tough time sitting for 45 minutes. Right. But now they're just this is forced on them. Right. Where they're not even allowed to play. You know, subhanAllah, they make horseplay seem like a sin <laughs> for kids <laughs> in the education system. You know, these kids are are just wrestling for a moment, oh, break it up. You know, it's just it's it's absolutely nuts. You know, Ibn al-Jawzi, rahimullah, he says uh, that you know this horseplay and this aggressiveness that children can sometimes have with each other that it's actually a sign of intelligence. Right. But here it's treated like a disease in the public school system. Wow. Right. So you're putting them in this environment that is the definition of being too restrictive. Um, and, you know, not not to mention all the other issues that we mentioned earlier in terms of values and, exactly. you yeah. know, well said. Well, said. Yeah. well said. So, I mean, here 
Now, this is probably the number one objection I see mm -hmm. to homeschooling. All right. Yeah. And that is the homeschooled child is highly susceptible to becoming socially awkward. So, you know, if you homeschool and keep your kids away from an actual mm -hmm. public or private school where he could interact with other kids as all other regular kids do, then your kids' yeah. social skills will become compromised. So how would you address that concern? And I think that's like the number one concern that always yes, that I, I personally always see being raised. I've, I've heard this concern a lot. Um, and, you know, there's a, a couple of things here that are very ironic. Um, one of them is that there's a lot of public school kids that are very awkward, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> you know, is that going to public school doesn't necessarily make you less awkward. So that's one, right? Um, the second thing is that homeschooling is what you make it, right? So, you know, you can have your child, you know, socially interact in all sorts of extracurricular activities, um, you know, you can teach your child a lot of leadership even, right? Um, you know, just by, uh, you know, again, being more flexible in terms and ha being more flexible in terms of activities, right? And doing, you know, this project-based learning, right? Where, you know, your child not only knows how to talk with other people, but knows how to get things done, right? Um, so, you know, homeschooling is what you make it. If you, if this is important to you, right, you can make sure that you build in a lot of opportunities for social interaction with other children. However, also, I'll also say this, right? And I, I really invite uh, the viewers to really think about this, right? What do we mean by being socially awkward, right? And think about, you know, when it comes to when it when it comes to fitting in, right, with other kids, you know, their age in the public school system, is that how would you define a child who's not socially awkward, right? Would it be the child who fits in with everyone because he does what everyone else is doing? Because if that's the case, then do we really want that for our for our Muslim children, right? There's going to be an element of being socially awkward with, you know, uh, you know, being a virgin, right? That's socially awkward, you know, especially in a society that doesn't see that as something valuable, yeah, right? According to whose um, standards, right? According to whose standards? Yeah, according to whose standards, right? So, you know, for, uh, you know, for in, our, a corrupt, in a corrupt society, you as a Muslim would yeah. want to be countercultural. Right. Uh, uh, if you're living in a corrupt society and that, that would be viewed as awkward and socially. Absolutely. Awkward. You know, for, right, you would be you would be a stranger. Right. And there's going to that time is now, you know, where we see that it, being a Muslim is strange. Right. And the Prophet gave glad tidings to the strangers. Right. To be that, you know, like, for example, I, you know, I remember telling coworkers I don't listen to music and there's like, their mind was blown. Right. And for them to imagine that, like, Muslims can have fun without alcohol. Right. It's just, you know, these things blow their mind. Right. Or that I feel, you know, uncomfortable um, going to social gatherings where men and women are, you know, sitting right next to each other. Right. It's like these things are socially awkward. So, you know, I like the way you phrased it, that in a corrupt society, then, you know, whose whose view of socially awkward are we following? Um, and then the last thing that I would say is that uh, this idea of socially awkward a, a very ironic thing about it is that it's very limited in its definition, is that people only interpret being socially awkward when it comes to kids interacting with other kids, right? I would say that almost every public school kid is socially awkward when interacting with adults, right? You ask them, you know, how are you doing? Good. You know, what's uh, what's new? Nothing, right? And it, it's like, well, if that's the average kid, you know, response, Right. Isn't that socially awkward or is socially awkward only pertaining to their interactions with other children? 
right? Now, this is a really important thing to think about. Um, what I've seen, you know, in my own experiences is that homeschooled kids, even the ones that are socially awkward with their peers, are very emotionally intelligent and are very well-mannered when it comes to interacting with adults. Mm. But here's the thing. You're going to be an adult more than you're a kid if you live an average yeah, exactly. <laughs> lifespan, right? So it's it's very fascinating to me that socially awkward has this limited definition that it's only about you know kids interacting with other kids. Um, I've also seen in, in my own personal experiences, parents who started homeschooling, started some sort of home education, and then their child um, started attending public school and they were very just they were very shocked at the change in mannerisms of the child mm. where the child's attention span went lower um the child started you know sharing inappropriate jokes um no longer had an interest um the child struggled with like having serious conversations that they saw as a possibility before mm. right um and you know i i think about for example right now one thing that's common in the public school system is getting kids to read by any means necessary even if that means introducing them to books that are just about like farting right so a lot of boys you know in uh first second grade will be introduced to books like captain underpants you know where it's like mm. it's, just, it's just ridiculous right it's just so immature right and yes they're young right i get that but at the same time like now you're a kid who you could have somewhat serious conversations with just tells fart jokes right mm. it's like is, yeah. is that what we mean by not being socially awkward you know mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, uh, but, you know, maybe maybe just to go back to the question, because I, I think maybe ultimately parents are genuinely concerned about uh, mm -hmm. their children having friends. Right. Yeah. How are they going to make friends? Where are they going to make friends if not at school? Right. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and and I think a common response that homeschoolers give is that, look, wherever you are, it's very likely the case that you're going to find other homeschoolers. Right. There's there's always a network of, of homeschoolers in some major metropolitan city um, mm -hmm. that, 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 that you're living in. And it's not only in the West, it could be even the Middle East or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And you'll and these, and these will be parents who are like minded and mm -hmm. it will be very likely be the case that they might have children the age of at the age of your children as well. And they could become friends. Yeah. Too, right. And then they could go out and do homeschooling activities like nature walks or whatever. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so the idea here is that because, uh, you know, we don't uh, I guess maybe uh, may some of the viewers might get the impression that, oh, so are you guys trying to say that as a homeschool child, my I'm going to be my kid's only friend. Right. Oh, I, I guess, uh, yeah. So it's all mine. Right. So uh, maybe that's the concern that they're that they're getting. Right. So it's yeah, not yeah. impossible for them to have friends. Right. Absolutely. It's it's not impossible at all. And, you know, there's <laughs> you remind me of this funny conversation I, I had one time when I was working in clinical lab science, which is like a very sort of like nerdy field. And I remember one time the supervisor um, calling out one of the employees, you know, by name and saying, listen, this was at a meeting. You cannot make your emergency contact someone that your mom that lives in Texas. Oh, right? okay. And I'm and I just had like this moment of like deep sadness where I'm just like, the only person that cares about you is like that far away. Like I live in Northern US, you know, like that. yeah. that's absolutely wild, right? So you can go to public school and, and be, you know, that person who doesn't have friends, um, you know, not to mention issues related to bullying, right? Um, and, you know, you know, echoing off uh, the point that you brought up about viewers, viewers' concerns is that, 
um, it's not that homeschooling is like, I'm going to restrict my child on it, on everything, right? It's that you're giving your child a gradual release of responsibilities where finally, what, where you give them freedom gradually. And once they finally do have that freedom, right, then they have that upbringing, that past experience, that past education, that past, you know, experience with values and you modeling things for them, where they make the right decision. They're going to be independent eventually, right? And you know, with uh, with public school, there's all these interactions that you don't have any sort of say in, right? Well, with homeschooling, you know, you can introduce them to good friends, right? And, you know, make that kind of the only option in the beginning, right? Now, later on, of course, that, you know, that child is going to be their own person and make their own friends, right? But at least if you can introduce them to a good network, right, this is a responsibility, you know, that you have as a parent. So no, we're not saying that, you know, you're going to be your child's best friend, just you two. Right. But, you know, that this is nothing wrong with being his best friend, but not his only friend. Right. <laughs> only friend like, me and my dad. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people ask, like, shouldn't my child experience the real world? Why create this protective bubble mm-hmm. for him? Eventually, yeah. like you said, he's going to step mm-hmm. into the real world. So, yep. better prepare him for it sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's truth to that, right, where your child doesn't need to be prepared for the real real world. However, you know, what's important is that I invite parents to think about what does the real world have? So, for example, the real world has bullying. um, The real world has drugs. The real world has prostitution, pornography. Like, the real world has a lot of crazy things, right? Now, does this mean you're never going to expose your child to the real world? No, that'll come eventually that'll come. Your child is going to be independent. They're going to start to make their own decisions, right? Now, when that happens, you want to trust that you gave them the right tools, right, to handle that, right, in a way that's pleasing to Allah, right? And that's what you're trying to ingrain in your children, right? You're trying to have these conversations later on that they can later look back and reflect on, right? So yes, we want to prepare them for the real world. And the real world has all of these things, but why force them to be exposed to everything you know, right away, which is what is happening in the public school system, right? Where right away your child is now exposed to all of this, right? So for example, you know, a, a question you, uh, we might ask back is, so so when do you think is the first time a child should hear swearing? Well, in the public school system, they'll hear it in their first week of school, right? From another child, right? Well, do they have to? Like, is that the best time? You know, or do you want to maybe for your child to hear that later on, right? When you feel like they have a better understanding of what good speech is, as the Prophet said. Yeah. Okay, let's speak finances now. So how much does homeschooling cost? If, how much it, does it cost? Well, um, I we have a family of four and we homeschool the three oldest ones right now that our last child is just too young uh, for homeschooling right now. And I would say last year, I think we spent about $250 altogether on homeschooling. Um, for all four children? Uh, for all of them. Yeah, for all of them. Um, and this is the the older three, not not the fourth one. Because um, you can actually reuse, you know, a lot of material. Mm-hmm. Right? You can mm-hmm. share material. You can get discounted material, right? Um, and some districts will actually also provide some help. Um, so our district um, can help you up to $80, right? So you can ask the district directly, you know, when you fill up paperwork to the district. Um, our district helps you 
up to $80, which actually goes a long way. $80 per child goes a long way. Uh, so for example, the, the annual test that students are required to do um, in our state um, is $20 per student, right? And it's just reading and, and math. And it's like very basic, you know, again, the, the, the standards, especially in the American school system are very low. Um, so it's very easy to pass, right? Um, and then you have, you know, the prices of books, extracurricular activities that you want your child to participate in. Um, so for example, um, our oldest is going to be starting like the sewing um, class and she's really excited about it because it's something that she really enjoys. Um, and that's going to, I think it's going to cost something like $50, right? So there was like this discounted program that she could get in. Um, so altogether, the I was reading uh, recent data that the average homeschooling parent in the U.S. spends six hundred dollars um, a year per student, right? So that's, and I think that's because a lot of homeschoolers are like this, these super wealthy, you know, families. We don't, we don't really have that to, <laughs> to spend like our our family, in particular. But it hasn't really limited us, right? We're still able to take advantage of all these free opportunities. You'd be surprised all of these free educational opportunities that exist out there. Um, and one thing that's really cool is that um, as a homeschooler, you like have like unlimited access to all of these things that other kids that are not going to be crowded. Right. So like other kids will be there, but it's not going to be like crowded, like you went there on a weekend. So, for example, exploring your science museum, you know, exploring your history museum. Right. You can do all of these things on a budget. Right. Even when it comes to traveling, you know, we we do travel not a lot. Um, in our last uh, bigger uh, vacation, we went to Egypt and it was really just this beautiful um, uh, adventure really um, for the kids um, because prepping up to it. And while we were there, we were reading about the story of Musa alayhi salam, right? So just being able to like see that like, oh, that's the Nile, right? That's the river that he was put in as a child, right? To be able to travel to these different places. You know, these are, you know, the pyramids. This is what, you know, Fir'aun who claimed to be Allah, this is what his people built, right? But you know, alhamdulillah, now Islam prevailed over that area. Like to give them this Islamic worldview is something that we're capable of doing without really spending a whole lot, right? Now, again, it goes back to that question of, you know, the why uh, of, you know, if you know your why, spending, you know, $200, you know, it's secondary now. Yeah, it's a peripheral thing. Yeah. You're spending that on subscriptions, you know, to random things, right? Yeah. Or, th or think about all the gasoline that you're going to have to. Purchase driving oh, yeah. kids b b b to and back from school, right? <laughs> right, right. And you know, some parents are some parents are doing a whole, you know, crossing crazy, crazy distances just to take their kids to a better school, right? So you think about all of that, and or buy all the all the luxury branded clothes that your kids want you to buy so they could show off at school and impress their friends, right. and the nice coolest That's backpack and, and 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 sports shoes so they could show off their friends. Yeah, it might be costlier sending them to uh, public school. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, I I I, I can. <laughs> I can definitely, you know, understand when it comes to that point. I remember one of my students one time, he was wearing these um these pants that are called um true religion, right? And wow. I'm just like, man, that's kind of like just opposes Islam in some ways, wow. right? Like and it had like a little Buddha, right? I was like, what is this? He told me that these pants costed him three hundred dollars. And I'm like, that is crazy. Like, where do you work at? I need to <laughs> um. <laughs> I need to get out of education, you know, figure out what you're doing. <laughs> Subhanallah. <laughs> so when it, we, we we spoke earlier about you know the importance of of making time 
you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. that parents should make time uh, for homeschooling. But maybe we could talk a little bit about how parents can make time. Yeah. Are yeah. there any practical so, suggestions in that in that arena, or is it just general time management advice that we could give? Yeah, I think there there's a lot of general time management advice, but then you know some of it's specific to education, right? So what's really important in education, you know, is gradual progression. Um, and, you know, having students uh, be able to consume uh, material and being able to explain it, right? Now, the reason that I say that is because if, when you think about that as an educator, right, uh, and these are things our scholars have talked about years and years ago. For example, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, talks about, um, uh, you know, the stages of knowledge, right? So, like, one, uh, the highest stage, you know, he considers to be uh, teaching teaching a concept, Right. So you think about it like this is, you know, so long ago, right, that our, our scholars, you know, have already addressed these topics. Right. Um, if you think about it from that uh, perspective. Right. It really allows you to structure time better. Right. So one of the ways um, in which you can do that are by spacing apart, you know, how having having the right increments. Right. When it comes to learning. And this allows you to get to know your child more. Right. So, for example, you know, going back to what we talked about, you know, some parents will be like, OK, it needs to be just like school. No, that that is a, a, a bad idea. You know, what I recommend is something more of like the Pomodoro technique where you, you know, which works for professionals as well, where basically you set a timer, you work on a task for about 25 minutes and you set a timer for five minutes. Right. And that time is to take your break and you get back into it for 30 minutes, take a timer, you know, and, you know, doing a relaxed activity for five minutes. Right. And then just making sure that, you know, while while you're doing this, right, that you're prioritizing gradual progress, right, that it doesn't have to be that everything is perfect day one. Right. This can be something that's incremental. Right. So, you know, think of it as like improving time, uh, improving attention span of a child. Right. Basically by, you know, starting off really small. Right. With maybe your child's attention span is five minutes, 10 minutes. You know, as we talked about earlier, you can learn a lot in five minutes. You can learn a lot in five minutes. Right. If you, you know, (laughs) subhanAllah. Right. Like right now, um, you know, I'm still studying uh, myself. You know, I still um, I, I'm in, enrolled in an Arabic program and I think about, you know, what I can accomplish in five minutes a day as a busy professional and I can accomplish a lot in five minutes a day. And what I've noticed is that with children, you know, their memorization skills are so much stronger that they can, they can accomplish so much more, right? In that five minutes, just for example, by listening, like the simple act, for example, of just turning on a slow res- uh, reciting um, reciter. For the Quran five minutes a day and the difference that will make in your child's pronunciation, the difference that will make in your child's, you know, knowledge of Tajweed and how easy it'll be for them to recite the Quran later on. So basically start off in small amounts, you know, and gradually work forward. You know, as we as we learn from the Sunnah of the Prophet, the most beloved deeds to Allah are those that are small but consistent. consistent. Are those that are consistent, even if they're small. Right. So just starting off small and trying to, you know, take breaks and gradually um, work to that and also making sure that it is something that is fun and enjoyable for both of you, right? For the educator, for the homeschooling uh, educator and for the child as well, right? Remember that we're building positive memories, right? This isn't, you know, drill and grill, you know, it, we want to build positive memories with our child. We want them to like learning, right? We want them to enjoy it, right? And we want this to not be the same as a public school environment. Yeah. Earlier, we spoke about ideally the best time to start homeschooling is when your kid is young. 
but mm -hmm. does that translate into there being no other appropriate time when to start homeschooling? Like, uh, so let's say um, you have your Muslim parents that are cognizant of mm -hmm. the concept of homeschooling now or convinced by it, but you know, their kid right now is in high school, right? Is it too mm -hmm. late for them to start? Um, has that ship sailed or is there always an appropriate time or is there a, uh, what, what, what would you say about that? I mean, is it, is it too late think, to start? Um, I think it's never too late to start as long as you have those prerequisites, right? As long as you have, you know, those things we talked about, you know, uh, for example, uh, let's say you have uh, a 10th grader and you want to homeschool and they're just, you know, like, nope, it's not going to happen. Right. You know, it does get to that point as a parent where it's like, all right, you know, I could try to force this, but, you know, let me compare, you know, the maslaha to the mafsada. Let me compare the benefits to the harm here. Right. And it might not be in your best interest to do that. Right. That's just the reality. Right. Now, there's other ways of harm reduction um, that you can do in this case. Right. And it might be perhaps, you know, putting your child into more um, Islamic programs, um, trying to focus on cultivating positive relationships uh, with good friends, right, um, at that time, although it is going to be harder at that time than it's going to be when they're younger, right? So it's possible, right? Um, but again, you know, at that age, they they really have to be willing, right? This can't just be something you, you force down your child's throat, and they're 16 years old, right? You know, especially I think about, you know, some of our viewers, perhaps they're you know, divorced, right? And they're a single parent, right? It's like, you know, there's only so much control that you have, right? Especially when now, let's say, you know, you the the other party wants to make it a custody issue, you know, say that they're neglecting the children. Like there's all these external factors that you have to think about when it comes to that age. It really, really is better to start when they're young. Um, now, again, you know, as we talked about, even when they're young, you want to explain to them why we're doing this, right? Your, your young child should have an understanding of, oh, this is why I'm being homeschooled, right? Like, it shouldn't just be like, oh, I'm not going to talk about it, you know? And I feel like this is where a lot of uh, parents go wrong with their children, you know, just hiding information from them, thinking that they can't handle it. You know, you'd be surprised what children can handle. You would be surprised what children can handle. So just talking to them, you know, trying to negotiate with them, trying to explore some of the benefits that they might like, right? Perhaps it might be sleeping in, you know, more trips as a family, more time to their own. Maybe they want to make money. Maybe they can... Maybe you can integrate, you know, them working and what they're learning from, you know, working and putting in more hours at work, you know, at that age. Perhaps it can be more of an apprenticeship with a trusted uh, Muslim uh, business, right, that you know that can be a good example for them. Maybe they can learn a trade during that time, you know, just exploring, being flexible, right, being creative, being resourceful. But knowing that it does get to that age where you can't force them as well. Yeah. You spoke earlier in the beginning about how parents need not, you know, lose heart, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and expect themselves to become these professional teachers, mm -hmm. right? But at the same time, how can parents learn how to teach, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, uh, if, uh, you know, uh, if they're going to homeschool their kids, they're going to have mm -hmm. to be able to teach somehow. Absolutely. Right. And it can't just be Absolutely. through natural intuition. So, um, is there anything that they, you know, any direction that we give, uh, you know, um, aspiring homeschool, homeschooling parents? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 
I, I chuckled a little bit because I, I think a lot of um, people just when it comes to parenting in general, think that it's something you don't have to learn. Think that it is like this just natural intuition, you know, and my argument is that even if there even if there is a natural intuition, I think at this point it's been corrupted, right? <laughs> you know, by all the things we're exposed to right on a daily basis. Um, you know, all of these shows and movies we were ex exposed to when we were younger, you know, I, it's had an impact on us, you know, and that's the reality. Um, you know, the best way as you know, we turn back to, you know, what, uh, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what his messenger وسلم, said, you know, that's the best way. Now, some, there are some great resources that have managed to like compile, okay, what are some, uh, you know, key events um, and examples we can use from the Prophet وسلم's life in order to inspire us as educators. Um, I'm going to recommend two options. Um, one is a four-part series. It's just four parts. Each one is one hour, right? Um, that you could listen to, you know, honestly, you can listen to it over and over again. It's so good, right? And it's done by a brother, um, Sheikh Musa Richardson, um, who's a graduate from Umm Al-Qura uh, University in Mecca. And he spent about 10 years over there, um, American brother. Um, and he does a really good job, I feel like, with really um, reassuring parents right, as they um, go on any sort of, you know, educational journey, but also as parents, right? Mm -hmm. He just does a good job, you know, giving this reassurance, but also connecting back to that why, right? Like one of the things that I loved about, you know, his talk is that he starts with um, talking about how rahma is the core, right, is the foundation of you as a parent and as an educator, right? And takes us through, you know, all of these examples from the Quran and Sunnah. So that's a great example. Um, I'll post it um, in a resource guide, which then we can um, just make it as uh, part of the description, um, inshallah. And then another, by the way, that course is completely free. Um, another opportunity um, is the Muslim Parenting Skills Workshop uh, by brother um, Michael Abraham, um, who has actually been on this channel, uh, yeah. conveniently so. Um, and he does a great job. Uh, I think that is about 11 or 12, I think it's an 11 or 12 part um, series. Um, and there are a lot of gems in there that you can learn um, as a parent. Um, now, one thing that that I think is also really important uh, for the younger viewers that are listening, um, and, I, and I do this in our own IEC, uh, in my um, education and uh, coaching institution, is that I make sure that young people are introduced to these ideas about parenting, that young people are introduced to these uh, ideas about raising children. And the reason why is because these actually have strong implications for who you're going to choose as a spouse, right? So, you know, along with this, right, many people are figuring out parenting, right, after they become parents, right? And this is really something that you want to think about even before you become a parent, mm -hmm. because it's really this really informs who you're going to choose as a spouse. You know, for example, you find as you're listening to this, you're like, man, homeschooling, I like that, right? Well, marry someone who also likes that. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, you're in for some conflict later on, right? And Yeah, send, you know, send her this blogging theology episode and see what she thinks about it. <laughs> there you go. That, that'll be like the test. That'll be the test. Do you agree with this? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding, right? But, you know, the these are big topics right and they are topics that you know can produce conflict later on right so it's really important for even young people who are unmarried right to look into these topics and start learning about them now and this is part of our responsibility as muslims right that you know you don't have to know everything about islam but whatever you get into you should know about it right if you're going to be a business person you should know about the fiqh and you know the rulings related to business if you're going to have children know about you know the rulings when it comes to having children 
So those are two um, really good resources that I would recommend. Inshallah, uh, we'll, we'll share them in the description box uh, below. Sure. I'll, I'll get the links off you later, inshallah. Perfect. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to choosing a curriculum, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I hear homeschoolers say, yeah, I'm going to choose the Singaporean curriculum because they're so good at math, right? Mm -hmm. um, is that the way one should be thinking or should one be thinking, I want to choose the closest curriculum that children in my state and area are, are, are learning, but yeah. I'm going to filter the bad, you know, I'm going to filter uh, the bad out and then teach mm -hmm. my kid the curriculum, you know, uh, in a, in a way that I think is Islamically acceptable. Uh, what, what approach should one should take when it comes to how to choose or develop a, a, a homeschool curriculum for one's child? Uh, I think, um, you know, this really connects back to what we talked about earlier about knowing your why, right? Um, you really have a lot of flexibility, um, especially in the U.S. Uh, when it comes to homeschooling. So, for example, I live in Minnesota, um, and in, in Minnesota, um, you know, your child is required to take a reading and math assessment that have, has been nationally normed, you know, compared to other um, students um, once a year. Um, and then you have to teach this list of subjects. I think it was like 14 subjects sometime before they graduate and assess them however you like. Right. And it's like, whoa, that's a lot of flexibility. Right. So how am I going to approach that? You know, so it goes back to that why of why you want to homeschool. Right. Because if if why you want to homeschool is in, to instill an Islamic identity in your child, then that's number one for anything. Mm. Right. That's number one for anything. And that's number one for your goals. You know, going back to what we said, your your goal in raising children is to raise a child, you know, that loves Islam. Right. And that is internally motivated. Right. That can you know succeed on their own later on when they're independent. Right. And someone that eventually makes dua for you, you know, after your death. Right. If, if you happen to, you know, die before them. Right. So. All of this, uh, you know, the discussion about choosing a curriculum goes back to that right now. It, it, one thing that I want parents to think about is that when it comes to having a curriculum that it's not only about, you know, like book study and right, like um, secular subjects. Right. If I, again, if our if our focus is going to be, you know, building that Islamic identity and we want everything to stem off of that. Right. Then one of the first things that we need to make sure that we're grounded in is our child's Islamic studies. Right now, you can teach the best Islamic studies curriculum, um, you know, but you have to be a model of that. Right. You, you yourself have to actually act on that. You and your spouse. Right. Have to be you, you got to be active. You can teach your child how to pray all day. Right. If you're, you know, you hurried, hurried, going through your prayers. Right. You got to walk the walk. You know, you can't just talk. You know, children will will do what they saw from you, not what you said. Right. So. Um, in conversations about curriculum, um, I always um, talk about Islamic studies first, just to say, hey, you know, these are the most important things that you want to do. Now, a real Islamic based um, curriculum will take an Islamic approach uh, approach um, to all of these topics. Right. Um, there's no perfect curriculum out there. However, there are some resources that I want to recommend. Right. Uh, one of them is um, my first Islamic studies book, and that's the title. Um, when I was a principal of an Islamic uh, weekend school, um, one of the things that you know I was I was tasked with was just finding just a basic Islamic studies book that goes through everything um, and is is something that I can teach to the uh, a Muslim child and that other teachers can teach. That's simple, that's colorful, um, and that hasn't that isn't trying to like imitate 
um, a Western uh, approach, but at the same time, it's something that students find captivating. So that's the title of the book, and it's printed by Merkaz uh, Mu'ad um, in the UK. Um, now, another important point when it comes to choosing an Islamic studies curriculum, you know, after talking about being an example of that and, you know, walking the walk, is that we really have to make sure when it comes to our Islamic studies um, curriculum that it's not something um, that, you know, itself has contradictions, you know. So, for example, like I I see uh, a lot of parents, you know, want to introduce their kids to um, um, uh, certain Islamic um, cartoons on YouTube. Right. And then I, I watch it and I'm like, oh, this has like music in it, like like actual music, you know, and I'm just like, oh, that's kind of weird. Right. It's like, yeah, I mean. The, the point, the views of, of scholars, you know, say, arguing that musical instruments are haram are, you know, there's a lot of strong evidence there, right? So you want to introduce your children, you know, to things that you see as an example. Um, now, the other, because this is such a common thing that I get asked about, you know, for example, when it comes to, you know, cartoons, I, I always like to comment on it um, and just say that children will oftentimes have a preference for the most exciting thing out of the options that you give them. Yeah. Right. So, you know, your Islamic education for your kids, you don't want it to just come from cartoons because then the cartoons will always be first. Right. You don't want it to just come from nasheeds because then that will always come first. That's always more entertaining to a child. Yeah. Right. <laughs> a child will choose a nasheed over Quran typically. Right. So, you know, I didn't know how I felt about this uh, until I had children. And I realized that like, if you introduce Quran to your child at a young age, they'll actually just like recite Quran as they're playing. Like they'll have all these surahs completely memorized, yeah. right? And it, it's something that they just enjoy that they can't see themselves without. So that is, you know, just a, a side point that I want to recommend to parents as well. Um, you know, don't don't think that kids need to constantly be entertained, right? Uh, that thing that they enjoy can actually just be uh, when it comes to like, you know, things that they listen to or things that they watch, you know, it can be Quran and it can be introducing them um, to books and having them have this love, this joy for reading. Um, there's actually Islamic studies curriculums that you can buy. Um, there's two sources that I would recommend, resources that I would recommend for that. One is um, a, a home-based educator um, who also does a virtual um, Islamic school. Uh, her name is Umm Maimuna, and she has a lot of useful resources. Um, and then another site is Salam um, Homeschooling. I, I think they do a really good job with providing some, you know, free Islamic um, content um, that you can start kids off with. Mm. Um, now, once the kid is a fluent reader, there's even more opportunities. Because one thing that happens in the public education system is that there's this attempt to like infantilize kids where it's like, oh, yeah, it's just, oh, they're just kids. They can't handle that. Right. And you find this even in the way teachers talk to students where they'll avoid using big vocabulary because they think that, oh, my child is not, this is too advanced for my child. But the reality of the matter is that whatever you expose to your child is <laughs> what they're going to grasp. And if they're only exposed to low vocabulary, that's the only thing that they'll speak with. Mm. Right. So, you know, you can actually introduce them um, to the same sources that adults use, you know, starting with the moment your child is now a fluent reader um, of English and a great resource um, that you can add to your curriculum that's going to build their comprehension, uh, build their knowledge of the Quran. Um, and it's simple to read. 
um, relatively simple for the child who's fluent in reading is Imam Sa'di's tafsir, which has now been fully translated in English. Um, into English. And it's it's a great resource, honestly. Um, it's not like a super difficult read. And again, you know, the difficult words are things that we want them to grasp, right? Um, and then, uh, so that's another great resource. Um, it is available for free online. I encourage buying it, um, of course, um, but it is available for, for free. <laughs> online but buy it support the publishers and buy it um i also recommend um my own institution um iec um for live islamic studies um and quran courses um so they can check that out at ikarad.com uh, um and the way that we structure our courses are again you know focused on um you know raising a child that loves islam right and not just you know drills and memorization mm. right but focusing on comprehension uh, but of course for using authentic um, sources as well um with secular studies the easiest way to get started um with students who can already read and, and i know this is going to be controversial um is with workbooks the reason that i say that is because workbooks uh, you know, are often based off of a curriculum already. So it gives these, it gives parents the familiarity aspect, right? And often workbooks um, give a child practice um, and allow the parent to sort of get their own um, foothold, like when it comes to teaching, right? Of like, okay, I can read this on my own, right? See if I can explain it to the child, you know, explain the exercise and then have them, you know, try it on their own. And one series that that I really recommend, while no workbook series is perfect, um, is the Spectrum um, series, which you can find on Amazon, and they have all sorts of subjects. Mm. Now, again, this isn't like, you know, this perfect solution, right? But it is, you know, we're talking about just how to get started. And, you know, I really advocate for a minimalist style, especially in the beginning, and not getting too advanced and just getting overwhelmed. Now, if your child cannot read, and, and by the way, the Spectrum series has workbooks on any secular topic. Um, that you can think of. If your child cannot read, the best way to teach teach a child to read um, is by using a phonics-based approach, which schools are also drift have drifted away from mm. and then now come back to and then drift away from. It's like this, you know, they just can't make up their minds. Um, and the best way, uh, the best source for that, in, in my experience, is um, the book Teaching Your Child to Read in 100 Easy Lessons. Um, you know, in, in these 100 lessons, your child will be reading. Um, and it gives very clear instructions um, to the teacher, which is really important because, again, we want we want sources that are easier for us, not like where I have to study, study, study or do all this research and explain. Uh, for math specifically, I really like teaching textbooks, which is a website um, that allows you to download software where kids um, are taught mathematical uh, principles and then they get to practice um, on their own. Um, but their curriculum only starts from third grade, but really a first or second grader can start it if they're advanced enough. Um, some other nice resources. But when it does come to the secular curriculum, I mean, mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier how people could be living in certain countries or certain states where their children might have to take this annual exam, right? Yeah. Or let's say a parent knows that eventually I want my child to apply mm -hmm. for university in country yeah. X, right? Isn't yep. the, the secular curriculum that you would want to follow ideally be one that best prepares and enables your child to pass these exams and to pass these entry tests into universities? Uh, you, you know, mm -hmm. ba basically following the same curriculum 
that kids in public schools or private schools are following. But at the mm-hmm. very least, you're teaching it to your kid and filtering out whatever you need, you, you feel is worthy of filtering out and then teaching it in your own way. Or is that is that the wrong way of looking at it? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad you you brought that up. Um, one interesting thing about that is that public schools are not exactly accomplishing that that mm-hmm. task. So just yeah. following public schools is yeah. is not really a good idea when it comes to that. So for example, like for reading, right? Um, one of the things that they emphasize um, in in reading, um, and that many tests emphasize, which is actually a skill that uh, is somewhat useful, but it's actually very problematic, is guessing the meaning of a word through context clues. Right. So this is an example when it comes to reading. Um, It's actually not that useful of a skill to teach because what you actually want to teach a child is how to use a dictionary um, and how to look up the definition of a word, because otherwise they're going to be guessing the meaning of a word and they could be wrong. Right. Like I have done that in my own native language that I'm like somewhat uh, not fluent in anymore, where I guess the meaning of a word based on context. Right. I have all the context skills, you know, but. I guessed wrong and now I'm using that wrong, right? So uh, schools don't often provide the best pathway for what they say they're providing for, right? Um, what's better is actually looking at the material that is on these exams, right? Which oftentimes there's gonna be you know, two key pieces that everything goes back to, right? And these two key pieces are reading comprehension, Right, that a child can understand um, what they read and explain it back. Right, I mean, like actually explain it back. Like, okay, this is what I read, whether it is in writing or whether it is in speaking. They need both, but you know, working working on both. Right, um, and then the other skill is analytical um, skills, uh, which can be developed through just you know moving up in math. Right, so whatever, whenever a child, whenever a student develops proficiency in these two things every other subject can come easily, right? So for example, if I understand uh, math well and my reading comprehension is good, well, now chemistry becomes very easy, right? But everything goes back to these two things. The issues with schools is that they're often not doing a good job, you know, with the proficiency levels we talked about earlier um, with these two things. So the kids end up not performing so well. And then guess what? What happens is that the wealthier families often will take their students to tutoring anyway. Right. Um, And it is important, you know, going back to being resourceful of parents, um, you know, if they if they want that path um, for their child and their, you know, the child at that point is already in high school. And this is something that the child wants is, you know, learning more about those tests because the requirements for those are constantly changing. So, for example, in, in the U.S., the ACT and SAT are two big tests that don't have the same value that they used to. Um, you know, some schools are now saying that the ACT is optional. Uh, when I was working at the university I was at, um, while I was there, we decided that the ACT was was optional, right? That it's not something that would be um, required anymore, right? So you see that, you know, it is not only the, the test score that uh, determines, you know, what program your child is going to get into. Now, if you live in a country where it is, Right. Like, let's say, you know, many of, uh, you know, countries that follow more of the British system. Right. You can learn more about that testing and, you know, do some Google searches and see which curriculum is most effective. Right. But ultimately, they will always come down to these two things, reading comprehension, being able to read and then explain both in writing and in speech and analytical skills, um, which you can learn through through doing math. What if one's child needs uh, special accommodations. Um, is that um, 
will that make the task uh, more difficult or uh, if not impossible? I, it depends on the level of accommodation. You know, every every family has a different um, has a you know a different level of needs, right? When it comes to that, now as we said, you know, the homeschooling parent needs to be resourceful, right? Now, I think one thing that they need to make sure they understand is that just because your child needs accommodations does not automatically mean that the public school is better for them. It doesn't mean that at all, right? In fact, um, some uh, school special education programs are absolutely appalling, um, just terrible, right? Um, I have worked um, side by side with special ed teachers who um, were responsible for pulling students out um, and then giving them extra support on the material. But basically, they functioned like tutors. However, what I what I noticed is that they themselves were not proficient, right? And the school didn't actually do regular tests on their own proficiency. So you have this, you know, special ed teacher that's pulling out your child for math, but they don't know math themselves and don't feel confident in their own ability, right? So it doesn't, just because a child needs accommodations doesn't mean that public school is the best option. Um, that's really a case-by-case thing. Right. But, you know, be resourceful as a parent. Find out more. You know, what are the exact needs of your child? You know, you know, you you can find out better than the school does, you know, what the exact needs of your child are and then build an individual plan uh, based on that. OK, here's a difficult question. <laughs> mm-hmm. What are the disadvantages of homeschool and, you know, do homeschoolers miss mm-hmm. out on anything? Oh, yeah, big time. We miss out on free babysitting, right? <laughs> 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 right. And, you know, the, the funny thing about that is that it's not free. You know, it's typically coming from your own tax dollars, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, this does require, for example, um, in terms of like, you know, time management and, you know, just house management, right? Is that you're not getting that break from your kids, right? So it's really important you know, that you have, um, you know, going back to that why and communicating and getting everybody on board, you know, for example, if it's a husband and wife team, um, you know, making sure that you have times where you can get, you know, time off and just sort of de-stress and, you know, have time away from the kids as well, right? Because it's not good for you to be around them 24-7 without ever getting a break either, right? Um, now, you know, the, the reason that I mentioned that is because I... A lot of times, this is one of the things that make the public school system just very attractive. And sometimes parents just need to be real with themselves and, you know, admit that, you know, it is the free babysitting that that keeps them, you know, going to the public school is that parents have this fear of, you know, having my child at home like the whole time. Right. Or going like having my child with me. Right. Um, I think this is a fear that we really do need to get over. Right. Because, again, you know, it's those positive memories that we can create that are really going to create the impact of a lifetime. Right. That is, you know, can hopefully, inshallah, lead to us having a child that will make dua for us in the long run. You you mentioned earlier that um, homeschooling is becoming more popular. Uh, do you mean like only among Muslims or even like in the broader, you know, uh, community? Uh, among people of faiths, you know, is it something that's only popular amongst conservative and religious people or other people recognizing its secular benefits? Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting, like the amount of enemies the public school system has managed to create. (laughs) You know, you have conservative families taking their kids out, you know, liberal families are taking their kids out, 
right? Um, it, homeschooling is definitely on the rise, I think, across uh, all demographics, um, really. I think a lot of people are kind of, you know, realizing that, hold up, I, I don't think this is the more effective um the most effective system right now some people are able to you know transfer you know their child to a private school because it is something that they can afford right or a private islamic school because it's something that they can afford however uh, a lot of families can't afford um islamic school and the other issue that we need to think about is that um an islamic school doesn't necessarily mean that they will um uphold all the values that you wish your child to have right so you know for example um some Islamic schools, uh, what they're doing is that they're just teaching the secular subjects like you teach secular subjects without adding an Islamic perspective. And then they're adding on a Quran program or an Islamic studies program. Yeah. Um, in some Islamic schools, um, the other children are a terrible negative um, influence um, on your child, right? And it doesn't necessarily provide you a solution for everything, Right. So, you know, these are things that we really need to need to think about. Um, and one thing that I tell parents is, you know, take take charge of your child's education. You know, if you feel that public school is the only option, please go to the public school and just observe. If you feel that, you know, you like this particular Islamic school, go to the Islamic school and observe. Right. Like go and see what it's like. You know, this is your investment. You're spending, you know, a big part of your paycheck on it right? or a big part of your taxes, you know, and your child is there. Right. And, you know, this is the peer influence that they're going to have, you know, see, see exactly what's going on there. Right. Um, I don't think that no one, uh, no one can create this perfect education system. Right. Um, but, you know, it's about you knowing your why and seeing if you're if the needs and the requirements that you have for your child are being met in that environment. Yeah. I think we do have to acknowledge the reality that, you know, some people mm -hmm. are going to just simply say that they they simply can't homeschool, right? Uh, regardless, w w whatever their circumstances are, they can't homeschool at all. Or some of them, uh, uh, you know, some what some parents are doing is that they're doing a combination of part-time homeschooling and also mm -hmm. registering their kids in virtual schools, right? So yeah. they see that as some kind of middle ground solution. So you have those parents that would still like their children. They they mm -hmm. feel they would feel more reassured knowing that their children are studying state-approved curriculum or uh, studying yeah. curriculum that is accredited by the Ministry of Education in that respective state or country. Mm -hmm. um, and their kids are getting these report cards and transcripts and certificates, and they're graduating. He actually he formally finished grade one, grade two, but through a virtual school. Yeah. At same mm -hmm. time that. It, the virtual school has the advantage of your child being at home and it mm -hmm. depends on the virtual school. So some virtual schools are live. So your kid is actually attending mm -hmm. live or they could be pre-recorded lessons, uh, mm -hmm. which the ch child could access at any time. And you could take your child through those mm -hmm. lessons and they could do the quizzes and the exams, which could be monitored through a webcam or they could go to a certain location and take an exam and actually pass right so a lot of parents are seeing virtual schools as some kind of middle solution um yeah. in some way mm -hmm. so uh, mm -hmm. i would like to get your thoughts on two things you know first those that simply can't homeschool at all mm -hmm. right uh, it could mm -hmm. be due to financial reasons both parents have to work mm -hmm. or it could be for any reason but we'll just accept the the claim that they genuinely can't do it and mm -hmm those that are thinking of virtual school um like mm -hmm. get your thoughts on that 
Yeah, well, yeah. Um, so, you know, one thing is for those who can't um, do it at all, um, and you know, they they tried and they know it's just it's not something that that can work. Um, with the virtual schools and virtual schools are different types, right? So there are the um, the public um, online charter schools now, right? Um, and this, you know, is is an avail is an available option in the U.S. Right now. Keep in mind the things we talked about about some of the issues with public schools is that your child will be you know following an approved curriculum however um the curriculum itself still might have issues in it so yeah. either way you know whether your child goes to public school or an an online uh, public school right whether they're going in person or online you still need to be involved in your child's education right. you still need to be there right you still need to find out what it is that your child is learning and you know this is something that i advise all parents you know be aware right this is a huge responsibility you know that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you with it's a huge blessing it's a huge gift to have children and it's also a huge responsibility so you want to make sure you you know you fulfill that Right. So you you still have to you know keep an eye on the curriculum, figure out what your child is learning. However, um, what they will not have is as much as the negative peer influence. Mm -hmm. Right. So it has this advantage. Right. Um, another thing that is tough, though, um, with the online virtual school is that um, parents need to be more mindful of too much screen time for their children, uh, even if it's something that is positive, right? Because, you know, this is something that is just not good for a child's health um, yeah, overall. Yeah. Um, and it, it is kind I mean, of hard. That, to that is my concern with the, with the virtual yeah. schools that, that which require live attendance. Yep, uh, yep. Uh, you know, uh, as opposed to those that are pre-recording the lessons and yeah, letting you yeah. access it, you know, at, mm -hmm. at your convenience, right? Yeah. And you see that like both of those have a different set of pros and cons, right? Because, you know, the online ones, I mean, some of them are requiring students to be online like six, seven, eight hours, you know, and, and I, you know, in my own institute, you know, I, I make sure that kids are never online for longer than an hour. Right. Because it's just it's not good for the child. Right. They need to have, you know, a break to just rest their eyes. Um, it's also very easy to get distracted um, when a child is learning online. And that's just a reality. We have to be honest when it comes to that. Um, the uh, asynchronous where um, it's not live, right, has that benefit where a child can get more breaks. But the interesting thing about that is that it gives the parents less breaks now, right? <laughs> where now it's like, you know, as a parent, like you have to be like really on top of it of like, okay, where did we leave off? Did we stop at 14 minutes? Like, <laughs> let's start back up uh, from there. But some parents still might find more reassurance in that, right? Of like, okay, they're following, you know, this approved, um, you know, curriculum, right? So there's that as well. Um, now there's this other option that I think is only going to become more and more popular now, which is online Islamic schools. Um, which often charge a cheaper price um, because, with, you know, they don't have to pay for a physical building, right? So it can really reduce the price. Um, so, for example, right now there's Everyday Ibadah, um, which runs a, um, a school um, that is that follows the American um, curriculum. Um, and actually, one of the um, main people who are involved is, you know, the um, teacher that I mentioned earlier, Umm Maimuna, um, where they integrate an Islamic studies curriculum uh, into a secular um, curriculum. It's online, right? Um, I don't know the, like, you know, the ratio of like synchronous versus asynchronous, how much of it they have to be like physically present for, right? But I know that this is going to be another growing option, 
right, for parents out there to have an online Islamic school, right? And I think, you know, the prospects for this are really interesting, right, where the educational world can really change a lot, right? So, you know, uh, another idea that, that's been on my mind recently is that since so many students attend tutoring now, right, um, and the tutor, many of the tutors are following their own curriculums, you know, whether it's, you know, Sylvan or Huntington or Kuman or, you know, other private ones, right? Is the future of education for a lot of Muslim families going to be that instead of an Islamic school, they go to this place for math on Monday and Wednesday, they go to this place for reading and writing on Tuesday and Thursday, and then maybe, you know, do a little bit of supplementation for the other subjects, right? I think that's something that's going to become more um, popular um, in the future as well. And I think that there's some good in that, right? Because one thing that I've seen is that now there are more people opening up um, tutoring services, you know, that cater mostly to a Muslim audience. And, mm. you know, there's an opportunity in that for um, business people, you know, with an education background, for teachers wishing to leave the indoctrination um, themselves, <laughs> you know, teachers who are wishing to, you know, move to primarily teaching Muslim students. So there's just opportunities in that for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have no more questions from my end. Yeah, I mean, I just want to thank you for, for coming on and, um, you know, and, and weighing in a lot of these uh, important questions. And inshallah, you know, we pray that this is, uh, you know, at, at least stimulated or motivated uh, yeah. some of our, our viewers to at least, mm-hmm. you know, consider, consider homeschooling as an option, right? Uh, at the end of the day, guidance is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? But at the same time mm-hmm. as Muslims, we do believe in taking the means Absolutely. to... Uh, you know, protecting our deen and 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 uh, and uh, uh, cultivating the uh, you know the, uh, the 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 spiritual the Islamic spiritual uh, upbringing uh, uh, of our children as well. And I and I think the argument that is being made here today is that when it comes to educating our children, especially when we're living in uh, certain environments which are not very conducive to the betterment mm-hmm. of uh, our iman. That homeschooling mm-hmm. has proven time and again as you know as being mm-hmm. an effective uh, means Absolutely. of education uh, for our children mm-hmm. that that results in uh, you know a better upbringing uh, for our children both in the secular dunya we sense but more importantly mm-hmm. in the Islamic sense but at the end of the day mm-hmm. guidance is in the hands of Allah you know Absolutely. the next the next Sheikh of Islam could have attended high school while yep. you know, the next you know God forbid uh, uh, degenerate could, could could have been homeschooled. Guidance mm-hmm. in the hands of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, but we take the means. Uh, and uh, and if Allah Subhanahu wa Taala does ask us uh, what we did to help uh, our our children become better Muslims, we have something to to answer in response. Um, before mm-hmm. we close off, Akhi Abdurrahman, are there any final remarks or any final words that you'd like to make um, be, yeah. before we end the session? Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to, you know, I, I like the recap um, that you gave and just emphasizing that point that, you know, that guidance comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, after all, you know, some of the MBA, you know, prophets, right, had family members that was misguided, you know, so it's not, you know, it, it's something that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately. Um, I, you know, I just want to conclude with, you know, just reminding all of us, you know, the immense responsibility of parenthood. Right. That this is, you know, a huge responsibility and, you know, just really emphasize that this is going to be something that we're asked about on the day of judgment. 
right? And at the end of the day, you know, when that moment comes for us where our life ends, right, we want to be able to stand before Allah on the day of judgment and say that we tried our best. You know, as we all know, once our time comes, you know, that's it. You know, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not delay a person's time once it comes, right? So this responsibility of raising children is something that needs to be on our minds, right? And that it can be distracting, you know, thinking about the dunya and obsessing about the dunya. But we have a huge responsibility as parents to handle with care to the best of our ability, you know, our children, right? Because this is going to be, you know, the future and this is going to be, you know, the responsibility that we are asked about. This is how big of a topic it is. And also just remind us that, you know, with uh, homeschooling, uh, not only, don't only think of it as a, a burden, you know, think of it also as a privilege. You know, think of the words uh, of the Prophet you know, right? That whoever encourages, you know, good or helps guide towards good, they receive the reward of uh, of the doer, right? Without the doer losing any part of this reward. So imagine, you know, the homeschooling parent, right? Who takes charge, right? You can be that parent that gives your child, you know, this Islamic upbringing that continues to get rewarded, right? Even after your death, mm. right? That give, that your child is acting on this knowledge, that your child is striving to learn more because of this upbringing that you gave them. And yes, it will come at a sacrifice, but ultimately it is worth it. And I ask Allah Azawajal to make us of those who are proud of their efforts on the Day of Judgment and to make us parents uh, that are proud of the way they fulfill their responsibilities. As Allah Azawajal says about the believers, that they're pleased with their journey. They're pleased with their efforts. They knew that they would meet Allah and that they would be questioned. And they knew that they gave it their best effort. So I ask Allah to make us of them. Um, as far as... You know, I'll, I'll, um, uh, you know, we can have some additional resources. Um, I also provide um, homeschooling um, uh, consultations for parents, you know, who just need help um, setting up their homeschooling um, or who need curriculum uh, recommendations. Um, and if, you know, people, I encourage people to just uh, comment and share this video as well. Um, you can ask questions in the comments as well, and um, I'll get to them. Um, inshallah, I'd love to see the discussions that come out of this as well. Uh, and I just wanted to say thank you for having me on, uh, Brother Bassam. This has been something that I have really been looking forward to, and I hope that Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, rewards you um, for providing this opportunity, and that this can be, you know, ilm that continues on uh, after we pass. Amen. Amen. Barakallahu feekum, Akhi Abdurrahman. It's been an honor having you uh, on the channel, and Jazakallahu khairan for all your efforts. And we'll end on that note, and I will bid you and our viewers. With the farewell greetings of Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durban Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall Credit Card Bill.